Hi, this is Cliff Griego for the picture-poems.com website and the circle and the square. Thanks for tuning in. This is another field notes report. I'm out on the road or the trail. I'm uh, bikepacking now from about uh, 1,400 meters and will cache my bike at about 2,000, a little bit below that. And then uh, about a two-hour backpack hike. I'll I'll change over entirely to backpack um, up to about 2,300 meters and set up a base camp in the wilderness. And um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. And um, I'm going as light as possible. And I thought I would just share a few... uh, Observations as a little bit of a natural history um, journal. It's um, Wednesday morning, the 7th of August, 2019. And I'm in the uh, south part of the Wogawas, hiking up into the Eagle Cap uh, wilderness. I'm not uh, in the official wilderness quite yet, but I will be in about... Oh, about uh, four or five hours or so. And uh, it's about 7.30 in tea, natural time. And I think I've mentioned that before, is that uh, I don't change my uh, clock uh, back and forth with this stupid, uh, what do they call that, daylight uh, savings time. I just keep it constant and then transpose like you do... Uh, with an orchestral score. So natural time is all the instruments in C. And um, uh, it's highly recommended uh, because obviously the uh, circle of nature (laughs) does not click forward and back, spring forward and fall back. It's very constant. So you uh, retain uh, a much better sense of natural time throughout the uh, year all the different seasons, wherever you're located. So I'm bikepacking up to my next uh, cache, or where I'll be setting up a cache with my bike and whatnot, changing over to entirely boots and backpack. And uh, I'm going as light as possible which means I'm taking a bare minimum of uh, camera gear so I don't have my beloved uh, Manfrotto tripod and larger format uh, cameras and stuff like that. So I'm going very, very uh, uh, light relatively. Uh, But hopefully I have enough camera gear to document uh, uh, my um, ever-growing obsession with uh, climate uh, crisis, climate breakdown, climate emergency, climate uh, collapse. I'm camped now in about, uh, I've just about broken camp. It's a very beautiful ritual if you've uh, never gotten into that. So you come in and you, uh, if you have all your gear and especially here, uh, water, I'll get back to that in a moment. Um, You can basically camp anywhere you want. I'm on official Forest Service uh, ground, 
So you can uh, just set up where you want. And I'm, I'm in a plugged old uh, logging road. There are infinitely many, uh, it seems, uh, logging roads at this altitude. As you can hear, there are horse flies around. And that's entirely because of it's very heavily uh, grazed. And unfortunately, I've come back up into where um, the uh, cow-calf pairs have been repositioned. They move them higher and higher with the progression of the summer. I'll get back to that as well. Um, but the main thing, uh, I just wanted to... Uh, set the tone with uh, temperature and drought, dryness, aridification. Those are a few key words that come to mind. First, just let me say that um, for those of us... Let me walk around so you can hear. As always, I'm working on the ground. And this is right where I was camped. This is an old Forest Service road. It's been plugged for at least 20 years. That means for European friends that they um, piled up uh, dirt and dug holes so you can't drive uh, even a four-wheeled. See, now I'm coming to a big plug. Snow root, uh, snowberry here, achillea, yarrow. Ponderosa pine, this is about, uh, it's been cut at least uh, twice here, and then heavily. And so it's a very, very mixed conifer forest, open in some parts. I'll just keep walking. And uh, here's a scholar's, uh, schooler's, excuse me, willow. It's nice to know some of your botanical history. Schooler was like a hardly 20 years old when he became close friends with David Douglas, who wasn't much older when they first came to the Pacific Northwest. And they were very close friends. And it's, uh, that's one that uh, has a lot of dead branches on it. So that's how I started my cooking fire when I got here with Last Light yesterday evening. It makes excellent uh, uh, cooking branches with um, one of those that I'm using on this trip, uh, a BioLite uh, camping wood stove that generates uh, enough electricity to recharge its fan and even a 5-volt USB output battery. So now I'm in an open spot here. I'm just... Well, that's the most common willow here. They're dioecious, so the male and female plants are separate. Now, this is interesting. That You see, this is uh, a landscape that's in transition. So imagine a rib of a... Uh, um, basalt volcanic rock formation that goes all the way down into canyon or valley country, so 600 meters, and will go all the way up to 2,300 meters. It's uh, not completely continuous, so it's broken in places. And so um, 
plants go up and down in slow motion in plant time, tree time. And there's interspersed here, especially in the open places, uh, sagebrush. And where it becomes completely open and sunny, uh, sagebrush uh, dominates. Here's a lot of snowberry. There are two different species of snowberry, the big and small. That's an important healing plant because uh, it uh, fixes nitrogen and holds the soil down. And so I'm just describing what I'm looking at. Um, so you can't, I'm kicking the, the dirt. Now the dirt is so dang dry here that it sends up uh, clouds of uh, almost like smoke just from that little kick. And um, if you were a tree seedling of any species, uh, you would be pretty much a goner. So if they were to cut down this forest, like they do, and if this were private, they would actually clear cut it. Terrible. Um, they do that without regard with the profound changes, with respect to the profound changes that have taken place. I'm walking by a balsam cottonwood. Tricerocarpa. And um, they form groves as well as the sister of the, um, they're very closely related to the aspen. Now the aspen grove has been slightly fragmented, of course you don't know from its point of view, by the road. There's a little uh, dirt gravel track that takes us up to where I'm going to be cashing my bike out to it. And, uh, but it's really one continuous organism, so it's very fascinating. It's the most common plant tree in um, North America. And uh, here it's become uh, a signature species of climate, climate crisis, climate emergency. It depends on how you're looking at it and how you see what's going on. Well, they're suffering uh, uh, everywhere at all the altitudes, all the way around the Wulaus. And of course, I'm on my annual circumambulation of the great wheel mandala of the Wulaus, but doing it uh, slightly different this year. I'll be, if things go well, going across on foot first. There's an old duck fur. Oh, look at there. You see, I thought it was uh, already passed away, but no, 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 I've never quite seen that. The lower branches are still alive. It's probably about a two, 250-year-old tree. Well, all the trees here are in different states of suffering, first and foremost because of the intense 100-year-plus history of... Um, logging and um, that started by the way with the wild west uh, just whoever gets here first with the most force in capital um, just taking everything and leave so now we're coming back into the aspen grove 
and then was reined in in the Teddy Roosevelt era with the beginning of Gifford Pinchot and the um, Forest Service. And they've been struggling for a hundred years with uh, forestry science. And it's a very, of course, inexact uh, science. And it's really basically an idea they have about what's the best, what they call uh, management. And then it's tried out for a while. And then uh, if they're lucky, they'll adjust the theory or the idea to the truth on the ground. And um, in the Karl Popper sense, get ever closer with better models of what would be, in their view, good management. But it's been one hell of a rough ride with the Forest Service. And uh, many excellent men and women for over 100 years have worn that green uh, uniform and tried to do their best to protect uh, the forest. Um, and you have to admire them in many ways. Although, in the scientific point of view, I think um, um, philosophically, I think we meet, need more um, simplicity and honesty because they've made a tremendous number of blunders and mistakes because it is a very inexact science. And um, one of the primary problems that has to be addressed is the whole notion of uh, control. And we're not doing that. But we're doing it here at the Picture Poem, so I'm still walking in this dirt. Now let's go back, so forget about the, we'll get back to perhaps to the Forest Service in a bit. Um, so look at this aspen grove. And as I've mentioned on other um, field notes reports, these are all collected together in a playlist on SoundCloud, by the way. And you should encourage me, because I should do this more often. So it's as if we're walking together. I'm trying to avoid the sunlight. It's only 8 o'clock, excuse me, natural time in tea. And it's too hot to sit in the sun. And I'm very climate adapted. And it's not because I have a shortage of water here, which I do. But the sun is just too intense and it's too hot. And there's hardly a breath of wind. The dew point is about uh, four or five degrees uh, centigrade. That's very dry. So we're going to approach uh, uh, what they call in Canada, in Australia, a 30-30-30 day. So above 30 degrees Celsius, uh, relative humidity below 30%. We're already at that now. There's absolutely, even at this altitude, 1,800 meters, early in the morning, I usually uh, get things started at about 3.30 natural time or so. And, uh, well, there's not a, a, even a hint of morning dew. Now, what do we know about morning dew? <laughs> Let's ask, I'm standing next to an aspen that's collapsed, has fallen over. And luckily, there aren't too many cows around here, but the cows have just hammered this place. And don't forget, uh, I have many friends that are ranchers, and uh, they're just in every way uh, wonderful people. 
And, uh, but you can put good people in a bad system, just like the Forest Service. <laughs> Very good people in a, not just a bad system, but a bad way of thinking. Well, I'm looking at these aspen leaves, and it's only 8 o'clock natural time, and they're totally in stress. Now, how do you see that? Well, uh, first and foremost, uh, uh, aspen groves, uh, as I was saying, it's all emerging out of a common rootstock. So it's very much like us in terms of consciousness, that we think our consciousness is individual, but really there's a ground, in my view, out of which energy, consciousness, and intelligence emerges. Well, um, this aspirin grove does exactly the same. So the real organism we don't see, like so much of nature we don't see, right? So under the ground. So we have to sense it. Yes, there are more flies, and <laughs> they can become mighty, mighty noisome, depending on the time of day. And as a conjecture, that's a theory, an idea, they wouldn't be here without all the cow poop. So the cows just, it's the, they're by far the biggest invasive species up here. Human beings here are not an invasive species. They can become, once you give them a car and <laughs> chainsaw. Uh, but uh, naturally, we're a part, in my view, of not a visitor. I'm a part of wilderness. So we're looking at this mixed conifer, and this is lovely aspen grove. So just as a conjecture, this grove would probably be three, four, five hundred years old. So you have matriarchs, they're the elders. They're about uh, 20, 25 meters. They're all in very, very steep decline. And then normally you have the middle age in this uh, one generation below that, the saplings. But all of them are totally dried out. And just like uh, me, if I sit in the sun for another couple days without water, very unhappy. So the color, how they're hanging, many dead leaves mixed in with um, the living leaves, many branches dead. And then, you know, there are secondary things, like they're attacked by poplar ash borers. I've actually witnessed outbreaks of that. And uh, Lord knows what else. But in my view, this is a hypothesis, a conjecture, a theory, um, an idea, those are all words for basically the same thing, a way of looking. So you have the fact and the way of looking which explains the fact. And they always, without exception, is that true I'm saying that? Without exception go together, ah, finally I'm in a little bit of shade. They always go together. So my theory, my conjecture, my idea, let me get down a little bit here. I'm in the shade of a grand old duck fir, another 200-year-old tree. Also with many symptoms, it has um, dwarf mistletoe. I wish I knew people that were doing research like in the Alps with uh, dwarf mistletoe uh, rising, going higher up in altitude with climate crisis. 
somebody must be doing that, both in altitude and latitude, must be doing that in North America as well. So let me know if you hear. But with the Aspens, I think it is um, the effect, again, this is a theory, but I'm sitting here right now. I'm, I actually camped here. So you really, if you like the Japanese say in Zen Buddhism, if you want to know the mountain, go to the mountain. So I'm here, it's very quiet. So it's the effect of a hotter, drier climate. Now, there are many limits and thresholds that are not self-evident and visible, right? So once you cross a line um, with any species, including ourselves, then there can be a sudden change. And then, so we see that change, and then we ponder that and try to understand it. Then we do that with theories, ideas, and conjectures. And uh, we try to get the best one. That's traditional uh, epistemology science, Karl Popper. And, well, that you get ever closer to the ground of truth. But it's never perfect. So, like uh, Krasipsi, the mathematician colleague of Einstein and David Bohm, whatever you say it is, it isn't. So, but my bet is that it's a hotter, drier climate, and then that's such a stressor um, that you they become more vulnerable to insect attack, fun, funguses, and uh, all kinds of uh, uh, health-threatening secondary effects. So a hotter, drier climate. And it's as if we've crossed some threshold and but the fact is is that they're dying. That's called sudden aspen death or sudden aspen decline. They're glistening. We're in their shade as we're talking. And um that's the fact. And it's everywhere. And so it doesn't seem to be affected by altitude. Another hundred meters, hundred and fifty meters, that's a Clark's nutcracker. I don't know if you can hear it on the tape. This would be the bottom of their summer range. It's such a joy. I always hear them before I see them. Because, of course, uh, that means we're coming up into white bark pine country. Well, um, so... Another 150 meters, and we'll be at the top of their range, their limit. So, um, the same symptoms, you'll see almost a vertical kilometer lower. So, hotter, drier climate. And it's not just how much water precipitation, it's the rhythm. 
as I've talked about with snow that's so crucial. When it rains, when it snows, and the rhythm of melting, and the climate is moving towards a movement of extremes, extreme drought, extreme heat, and then extremes of precipitation. So, and our map, just like we were talking about with the Forest Service, struggling to what is our relation? It's really a question of relationship with nature, right? If you begin with the idea of management, I think you're lost from the beginning. Because you wouldn't be doing philosophy, right? We, and philosophy means we start with the biggest circle that can be imagined. And so we begin with that primary insight. Okay, well, I'm up here exploring relationship. So if I just assume that all these trees are individual organisms like we do when we look at human beings or think of ourselves. Well, that's an idea, right? A conjecture. But it happens to be totally wrong. They're all emerging from a common ground. And that common ground is nested in the wider circle, within circle, within circle, of this um, bioregion or whatever you want, just the land here. I don't know if you can hear that. There's a bit of a breeze. They're famous. Tremoloides is their specific epithet. They have very long uh, petioles that, uh, of the leaves, beautiful heart-shaped, heart-shaped leaves that flutter in the wind, all with exactly the same movement, in beautiful, asymmetrical asynchrony for musicians. It's a very beautiful movement, which you in sound could translate, for example, into the high tremolo solpanticello of violins. But you'd have to be able to do it uh, asynchronously, and Western musicians have such a hard time thinking that way. Not in the circle in the square. So we're listening to their music and suffering with them together. So there's our next theme, suffering. Well, um, we aren't at the wilderness yet. And the south side of the Wagawas, depending on your point of view, is much less visited than the north side. So it's a long drive, and you have to have a... Uh, uh, off-road, not quite a Jeep, but, you know, if you just take a normal street vehicle, uh, uh, this is a pretty rough road. <laughs> you might uh, get some uh, vehicle damage. Uh, and that's, uh, uh, forget about the car, but my main point is that uh, we're missing something very profound when we drive to these wilderness areas. Even if you're just doing it as, uh, you know, recreational, athletic, uh, sun and fun, climbing and skiing and whatnot, and not doing ecology and climate work. Uh, because uh, the primal human 
nested in nature point of view as a part of wilderness, not as a visitor. I very much dislike that language. That uh, we know the land and what we do, we know ourselves in the movement of walking. And the car is one of the most destructive artifacts of all time. Even if it were totally running on air with no pollutants. <laughs> because it, uh, the way that, um, that it, fragments, it fragments us from the larger circle of the earth and also from our larger uh, instrument of our physical earth or body. You would not, I don't, I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm listening to the sound of that rustling of leaves. The higher you go at about uh, 2,200 meters, that sound disappears. Why? Because we're already too much into an Arctic tundra habitat, not quite above tree line, but there are no broadleaf trees past that altitude, about 2,100 meters in this part of the Wawa. So another 300 meters from where we're talking right now, and we will not hear that sound. Now, of course, you won't know that until you come back, ah, if you've been up there for a week or two and come back down, this is an oasis. Aspen groves, cottonwood groves are always oases for all the species of the living earth. Why? Because there's always water. Here, there, uh, it's a sign of groundwater in a lush, green habitat of shade and intense, even in natural climate, uh, heat. Well, um, so we're back up and walking. So if you were to drive that, well, I'm afraid that you would have absolutely no idea of uh, where you're at with all due respect. So I encourage people to not only get rid of their cars, don't sell them, they should be recycled. And start walking, start biking, start skiing, start snowshoeing, start running. And then if you weren't able to do that, well, you could always get an electric bike. There are electric mountain bikes now. Um, so there's no reason, even if it were a money issue, well, hitchhike or whatever. Um, in my view, it's better not to come spiritually than to come in a disrespectful, wrong way. So I'm saying that as a question. I'm listening. That's a challenge. Because we don't see what we've done to the land. We don't see what we've done with grazing. We don't see the effects of climate crisis. We, <laughs> if we've read the newspaper and say, well, there's 137% snow water equivalent, we think, oh, well, things are fine. We got this place is not only in drought, it's in a process of very slow but accelerating aridification. Now that's a theory, but there are the facts of ever drying a habitat all around you. Mm -hmm. 
So if you were to come here from the lower altitude, it'll take a couple days. And the first thing you're going to notice is, hey, well, gee, there's no water. <laughs> so not only are you carrying all your water, and once you get into that space, you're in natural um, time space. So what you're going to suffer with your boots and backpack, I'm not saying that we should go out and with self-flagellation try to suffer, just <laughs> that's not um, what I mean. But you're a part of the natural um, circle. Call it whatever you want. And uh, that's uh, where we start to attune to the intelligence of our natural history, that we start sensing things that are way beyond what current uh, forestry or e ecological science can ever hope to describe. And we're sensing that with our feet, with our ears, with our noses, with uh, the moisture on your skin or the lack thereof. But if you walk up, and you see how dry this is. And at the same time, the ranching community is living in a space that's probably a half a century old, with all due respect. And that has one hell of an up and down history too, just like the Forest Service. It's nothing like uh, the European Alps, which has a much older, it's a five, 5,000-year-plus history, right? And, uh, uh, but th this came in right at the dawn of hydrocarbons and chainsaws in industrial agriculture. So, with all due respect, these cattle up here are just ripping the shit out of the land. <laughs> it's absolutely breathtaking. And the drier it gets, the worse that it gets, and that puts us into a feedback loop, a positive feedback loop, a vicious circle, a devil's loop, that the drier it gets, the soil, the hotter it gets, and the hotter it gets, the drier the soil gets. And that's an evidence everywhere here. And that's really the theme of our field notes report. That's all I want to say. The hotter it gets, the drier the soil gets, the hotter the air gets, and the hotter the air gets, the drier the soil gets. And it's, it's like losing the reflectivity of snow, which is also taking place up here. Now, it's one thing for that to have happen. the result of uh, pumping massive amounts of, what is it, 110 million tons of CO2 carbon into the atmosphere per day, right? So as we drive our uh, four-wheel drive vehicle up here, that's what we are contributing, and we don't want to see that because we want to get to the wilderness and reconnect with nature, right? And that subtle form, let's call it violence, it's a subtle form of violence, it's very destructive, it's, it's entirely unintended, 
But that does not mean that it's not destructive. And that does not mean that with a wider circle of ethical awareness and sensitivity, we'll um, stop and look at what we're doing. That's what we're doing right now. So I'm looking down this dirt gravel track. And I'm grateful that it's here because I can get up here with my bikepacking rig. It's a beautiful Oregon blue sky day. It's about six degrees centigrade above climate average. That's a lot. <laughs> Don't forget that um, what's the Paris Accord of depending on how you interpret it, 2 to 1.5 um, Celsius temperature increases being acceptable. That's a totally arbitrary number in my view. And then related to carbon, uh, a carbon budget of 600, 700 gigatons, that's billion tons, well, not only are uh, carbon emissions uh, increasing, and the increase is increasing. So every year, 2.4, 2.7. So they should be going down, right? Otherwise, there's no way you can reach that, uh, meet that uh, accord. They must go down, not up. But ever since they've been talking about the uh, climate with the... Um, you win almost 30 years, uh, emissions have gone up 65%. So it's been totally without effect. Well, that hotter, drier climate is what's killing these aspen. That's a theory. But they are dying. That's a fact. And it's having uh, negative consequences for almost everything up here. And some plants have a wider amplitude of tolerance, like I'm looking at sagebrush growing in between. Sagebrush is, in our view, a very beautiful, not just plant, but community ecosystem, to use an ugly expression. Well, so it's six degrees C above climate average. There's a fire going just north of here. I'm headed that direction. And the sky, especially to the south, is full of smoke. On a smoke index, just arbitrary, just kind of tongue-in-cheek of zero to ten, this is only about a three or four. I can get a heck of a lot worse than this. If I look to the west, I still have blue sky. But that's re become relative too. What are we used to? How much smoke in the year? So hotter soil leads to hotter air, and that gets into a positive loop. Now, if we drive up here, we're not going to see any of that. And we're not going to see, in my view, the just unbelievably 
mm, callous form of grazing, just driving the cat. And I, uh, I'm just studying the effects of it. As I, I, there's a place I like to camp here. It, it looks like a capo, confined animal, whatever feeding. They, they've just totally torn it apart. And it's down to bare mineral dirt. All of the uh, grasses, whatever was growing, it's all gone. And they've just pooped it all under, just ripped it up. There's no water here. Lord knows where they're getting their water from. There's no one up here watching the animals. If I'm up here week after week, I will never see anyone with the animals. So it's kind of a lazy boy ranching style. And it's here totally the norm. And if you were to question it, you, your days would be numbered. <laughs> because uh, it goes so counter. Now we're coming back into the sun. There's a large patch of uh, nettle leaf horsement. Let's smell some. It's about finishing flowering. They're also dry, but of course it's a perennial, I believe. Yeah, it's a perennial, isn't it? Um, but did that come in with the... It didn't come in with the cows. It's a native invasive. It can form whole mats. It has a wonderful... It's very... It's in the mint family. You can use it for tea and... Uh, taking off some, and you can chew it. It's a Native American herb for chewing for runners, for a strong heart. Well, we can use some of that. No time to be weak with climate breakdown. But these guys came in with the um, sheep, not the cattle. And the sheep were removed from the land here after World War II. But the effects are everywhere. And it's a very subtle book that uh, you can spend many lifetimes uh, learning to read. Of uh, This is a shoulder, so they would have bedded down with one of what they call bands. And bands can be up to 1,200 animals in a group. So this would be a sea of wool and just uh, grazing everything to the ground and then moving on. But they would need flat parts to bed down. And this is relatively flat in here, although it's not very big. But that probably came in with the sheep. And the cattle don't touch it, so it's negatively uh, selected. But that's basically all I wanted to say. Um, hotter, drier climate. And letting it really deeply sink in once you get rid of that car or whatever it is. Then um, you'll see the world in a different way. And I still have another, I better get a move on. Uh, four or five hours before I can find a place I hope with water. And I'm basically out right now. So that's it for now. 
Thanks for listening. This is Cliff signing off for the picturepoems.com website and the circle in the square. Ciao for now.